Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us, as always, is Phil Me and Phil. Hello, how are we doing tonight, boys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we finish off our celebration of 2021 in film with our favorite performances of the year. Are you sure we're going to finish it off here? Because we could do like uh, favorite supporting, well, favorite costumes of the year. We're going back and forth. We may do our favorite characters next week, which we don't normally do. We usually do these three recap weeks in a row. But yeah. we may add a fourth because it is slow in January. So maybe we it do is. our favorite characters of 2021. Why Still why being don't we discussed. Just, why don't we just cover 2021 for all of 2022? <laughs> it's not a bad idea, to be honest. You know? At least we, we wouldn't have to have Cinema John meetings discussing what we're going to talk about, you know? Right, exactly. You know? Best best uh, best to pay in film, right? Uh, I like it. We are, though, Matt, celebrating 2021 best performances, and we're clumping it all together. We're doing... We picked five. You can do male performances, female supporting lead whatever you fit as your five favorite performances we can discuss this week nice i think i mixed it up pretty well so it's going to be an interesting list i agree we always got to bring in really strong film critics when we're recapping an entire year we had brian tellerico on we had mark dusick on and who do we have coming on this week Matt? pamela powell it's been a little while i'm excited to talk to pam again as you mentioned fellow film critic She's got, you know, accolades and credentials galore. Yes. Plus, I think it's going to tie in nicely with the film we're reviewing this week as well. So I hope we put this whole thing together the right way. Yeah. You know, and and we talked a little bit before we hit record. And I'm glad Pam is here to talk about the film we're going to mention because I think I'm not going to be strong on it. Oh, boy. That's a little foreshadowing for you folks. Besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Phil? Yeah, you know it, Rye. We are keeping it rolling with Wes Craven Month, and we're doing something a little different. Don't worry, we still have our fact. That's coming up in just a little bit. But since we're celebrating Wes Craven because of the Scream reboot coming out, and we're going to be reviewing that, we wanted to get everyone a little caught up, so we'll be sharing a little bit from the original Scream as well. Nice. And the suspense is over. We are reviewing The Lost Daughter this week. Indeed. Saw this at the Chicago Critics Film Festival at the Music Box. So it's a, a, a little rusty on it. I've only seen it once. Big fan. Can't wait to talk about that. Plus, Matt, we are playing Stump the Kabinsky in honor of a new movie coming out. Maybe Pam's seen it. I know me and you have not. It's called The 355, starring mm. Jessica Chastain. Okay. Um, we are stumping the Kabinsky, and the theme is Jessica Chastain movies. Oh, good Lord. That I, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. I've, I've definitely seen my share, but she's a chameleon. So sometimes I don't always like see it as a Jessica Chastain thing. So we'll see. All right. Before we bring on Pam, we do have a Wes Craven fact, as Phil alluded to. So let's start right there. 
Yes, we're taking it very, very early. We're taking it back to Swamp Thing this week. Uh, Dick Durek, the star of that, was forced into the role in the 1982 film by necessity. He'd been brought on board uh, as a stuntman originally for this project. However, uh, the filmmakers were having a really, really tough time trying to make Dur- trying to go from Ray Wise, who was the original cast for Alec Holland, the like the human that Swamp Thing turned out of. Uh, and trying to make that look like the same person when Durek was the Swamp Thing. So they were like, eh, whatever. They threw it away, and they just did all Swamp Thing's makeup as Dick Durek. You know, I, this he, is when... He lost a man a job, but <laughs> he gained himself a job. That's how it goes sometimes, Phil, you know? I like With that a face sometimes. like Dick Durek's, what can you do? Quentin, I, Tarantino, is... Quentin Tarantino casted stunt women in uh, Death Proof, and yeah, I think that was well. by design. That was, was by design. Yeah. Okay, so here's a, uh, a corner of pop culture I am like completely almost oblivious to. I had a couple of Swamp Thing comics, never got into it. But people love Swamp Thing. It's like a, a really whole... good episode of Courage the Cowardly Dog that's surrounded about Swamp Thing. Wasn't it a TV show? Wife. Well, yeah, but... Okay. <laughs> comics, TV shows, I know nothing. That's all we got. Swamp Thing. I'm going to rewatch this one since we're celebrating Wes Craven here. Yeah. I mean, so Craven directed it, correct? Absolutely. So, yeah, it's worth it. I need to rewatch it as well. It's been probably 20 years. All right, let's get this show on the road here, Matt. We bring in our guest, Pamela Powell. She writes for Real Honest Reviews. You can also hear her talk on Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Pam, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Thanks for having me back, you guys. It's been a while. It's good to see you, yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been way too long. And hopefully one of these years we'll be back in person and chit chatting. Oh, I can't wait. I can't I wait. Know. So what it's you, great to see you guys. It's good to see you. What have you been up to in the year plus since we've had you on the show? Oh, my gosh. Um, it's It's been kind of a I don't know how I would describe this year. I mean, it's been 2021. So how do you describe 2021? I'm kind of putting it behind me and looking forward to 2022, but who knows what that's going to bring either. Um, we've been doing a nice thing about 2021 was that Chuck and I were be able, we were able to be back on the air at WCIA TV in Champaign to give our movie reviews. We've been doing podcasts and we've started YouTube reviews as well. Um, we've been doing a ton of giveaways with the studios, which has been a lot of fun. And uh, that's probably about it. I got a puppy. So we got that. Oh, well, there's <laughs> a development. What, what, what kind of dog? Uh, he's a miniature Australian Shepherd, just like my other one, but a different color. And I would pick him up and show you. But he's sleeping at my feet right now. And I will not disturb a sleeping puppy. No, let, let sleeping dogs lie. I'm sure I asked you this question over one of our interviews. There have been several now, but I want to go back to it for for new listeners. What was the thing that that got you into movies? You know, I I, there there are a few different things. And I I think about that a little bit more. I, I didn't see a lot of movies growing up. I grew up in Podunk, New York. We didn't have a movie theater anywhere nearby. We had to drive 30 miles country roads around a lake in order to get to 
a movie theater that actually, I'm not even sure if it was really a first run movie or not. Um, but the first movie that I actually went to go see was the Star Wars movie, the first Star Wars. And my brother and his girlfriend took me to see it in Jamestown, New York. Now, if you know anything about Lucille Ball or if you've watched anything about Lucille Ball or heard anything, that is her hometown. I, I wear that badge with pride. Um, and we're at the movie theater and the, the line is around the mall. And, and I mean, huge line, really exciting experience for me. And I just thought it was like the best thing since sliced bread. So that was it was a Star Wars for you? That's yeah. I got to I got to be honest. Maybe I haven't asked you that question because that's a surprising answer. Good for it's you. kind of funny. It's kind of funny how my taste has evolved or changed or devolved, depending upon your perspective <laughs> on this, um, as to what my my taste in movies is. Although I then, you know, was, I didn't see a whole lot of first run movies. And then I moved to Chicago to go to grad school and I fell in love with this thing called independent films. Um, Fine Arts Theater in Chicago. I didn't live too far from there. And so I saw some incredible movies. And one of the most striking ones, one of the first ones I think I saw there was Cinema Paradiso. And that one still just, I get choked up thinking about that one. That one is just so, so beautiful, so heartfelt. And, you know, I went from big blockbuster of Star Wars to falling in love with independent film and realizing how powerful movies can truly be. And I'm really lucky to be able to, to do something like this for my life. It's great. Yeah. Um, speaking Amen. of tastes in movies, we have been recapping 2021 and we'll continue to do so this week. But everybody has their top 10 list. Everybody has their favorite movie of the year. Um, Brian Tallarico named The Power of the Dog his. Last week, Mark Dusick announced that nine days was his favorite movie of 2021 so we turn the mic over to you pam what was your favorite movie of 2021 it's kind of funny um my top 10 it changes from day to day depending upon what movie i have seen and what mood i'm in or how much sleep i've gotten um but my number one stays right where it is as does my number two my number one is belfast um oh, wow. kind of Branagh's film a small ensemble cast that every single time I watch it, I've seen it countless times. I take something else away from it. It it just is is such an evocative film about a time in Ireland's history where a family had to rely on one another in order to go through this time and make sacrifices because they loved one another. Wow, getting getting choked up on it. Yeah. That's it's awesome. in the show. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're I mean, only 10 minutes in here, Pam. But obviously it affected you. It got to you. It did. That's it did. Good. It really did. That's awesome. All right. So uh, for the jawheads that want to read your reviews or listen to your reviews, where should we send them online? Because it seems like you're you're everywhere, Pam. So where should we send them? I am everywhere. It's really kind of scary. Uh, the main site to go to, though, is mine and Chuck's, and that's realtalkwithchuckandpam.com. You can read our reviews, you can listen to our podcasts, and you can watch our reviews on television. We're on CI Living as well as the morning show on Friday mornings. And as always, I'll put the links in the show notes for the Jawheads to easily get to Pam. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Matt, we are kicking yeah. this thing off with a film. Matt, by Maggie Gyllenhaal, actress extraordinaire, has stepped behind the camera to make her directorial debut with the film The Lost Daughter. The movie is based on a book of the same name that was written by Elena Ferrante and published in 2008. 
It sports an amazing cast led by Olivia Coleman. And the best part, it's streaming on Netflix right now. Matt Kay, Pam, and I headed to a secluded beach in Greece to check it out. Miss Caruso, welcome. Thank you. Excuse me. I work at the beach house. Just let me know if you need anything. Great. Olivia Coleman plays Lita, a middle-aged divorced woman who is on vacation in Greece when the film opens. She seems to have found the perfect spot on a beautiful beach. The weather is just right. No one is around. It's quiet. This lasts for less than a minute as people come storming the beach, making noise and running around. Among them is an American family who Lita tussles with instantly when she refuses to move her chair to accommodate a birthday party. This scene may not seem that significant to the naked eye, but it can be viewed as an analogy for the internal struggles Lita had when raising her own family. The issue the lost daughter deals with seems almost taboo. Women who struggled with motherhood. After viewing this film, I read a couple reviews on it and I found one, The Guardian, to be on point. I quote from that review, the stakes of the lost daughter feel so weighty the viewing experience so unsettling and transgressive because the myth Lita's recollections deftly unravel, that motherhood will come to women naturally, that it will give something without taking something so valuable away, is so deeply woven into our culture as to be almost invisible. The idea of motherhood as an identity of tenderness, sacrifice, fulfillment, and above all, selflessness. The lost daughter dares deposit that for some, motherhood might not actualize the self, but plunder it, especially if, like Lita, she becomes one while still barely an adult herself. In the film, we see this transpire in flashback scenes in which Lita is played masterfully by Jesse Buckley, which in return helps us understand why Olivia Coleman's actions make some sense. This is not an easy watch by no means, but it is one that makes for a great discussion afterwards. It is a remarkable first feature from Maggie Gyllenhaal, and we will get to the rest of the cast here in a bit. But for now, I turn it to our critics, Matt Kay and Pam, both of which are parents. What did you make of The Lost Daughter, Matt? First of all, I want to congratulate Maggie Gyllenhaal. I think that this is, by all accounts, Uh, a successful directorial debut. Personally, I hated it. I (laughs) found it the most difficult film to get through that I have ever watched. And I made it through a net. So this, this movie is a slog. There is nothing redemptive about any of the characters whatsoever, nothing to attach to, nothing to like. It's all just dreary, depressive, meditative slowness. And I have no problem with the theme on motherhood. I'm a huge fan of Baba Duke, which explores similar themes, but I think it's just such a turnoff that I couldn't get past it in this 
instance. Olivia Coleman, on the other hand, is just like I could watch her sit and watch paint dry, which is pretty much what you're going to do in this movie. I did not like it. Well, I like she, Olivia Coleman quite a bit. She steals a doll, Matt. I mean, come on, Pam. <laughs> you got to be on my side here. And, and you, you had to like the lost daughter. Uh, you know what? I, I did. But I also understand Matt's point of view. And I'm going to be completely honest here. I started to watch that in my basement at home with lots of distractions. And I'm like, this is going nowhere. I can't watch it. And I gave up. Um, and then I uh, saw it in a movie theater where I was sitting and had to pay attention. And oh my God, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Um, I caught things that I didn't catch before because I was distracted because the dogs had to go out. I was, I, I felt things in these subtle nuances. I mean, you talk about Olivia Coleman being able to watch her watch paint dry, the expressions in her face have a million different emotions that we can all relate to. Um, I think it is, it is an extremely poignant film about how difficult it is to be, I don't wanna say just a mother, but in this case, a mother, um, anyone who sacrifices to help their children or, or gives of themselves in order to have their children succeed you know, and it is this push and pull of giving and taking. And I mean, I know I gave up. I used to be a speech language pathologist. I gave up my career to stay home with my kids. I was happy to do that because, well, I'm a control freak and I didn't want anybody else raising my kids. But I mean, you lose a little bit of your own identity. You lose a lot of your own identity. I'm going to take that back. You lose who you are. And then you have to rediscover yourself. You put yourself on a back burner. And this shows how difficult it is and yes it is a bit of a slog and no there aren't any redeeming aspects to this film other than the fact that you can walk in another person's shoes you can walk in a woman's shoes you can walk in a mother's shoes to feel some of the same struggles that power struggle and oh my god that one little girl i just wanted to throttle her i needed her to go into time out i mean <laughs> and and I, I, to to gyllenhaal's credit she pushed that aspect just to the point where you're like i can't take anymore um and then she would cut and go to a different scene we experienced it we felt it it that kid drove me nuts um, this mom was too young emotionally. She was not ready to be a mom. Um, and as you said, Ryan, in, in your intro to this film, um, Jesse Buckley does an extraordinary job of, of honing in on the frustrations and the difficulties of marriage and, and how kids affect that. Um, it's, it's eloquently done. It's beautifully done. Jesse Buckley is incredible. I found, and I think maybe... This is what's kind of it, 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 it does slog in points, as, as you had said. I think it focuses on being so artistic that it forgets that it needs to tell the story. Yes. Um, yes. And I, and I think that's if she would have pulled back on that aspect a little bit, not doing so much of the underwater scenes and the and the aerial scenes. And, and it took too long to push things through, kind of like how I'm doing right now with explaining the movie. <laughs> I, well, I got two quick points. Go ahead, Matt. All right. All right. Two quick points. First of all, the the um, the camera work you're talking about was one of the things I actually 
found myself paying attention to more because the story was so boring. Okay, and, I, and that shouldn't be though. Yeah, I agree. You know? Totally. Yeah. Um, but I will point out the, 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 um, cinematographer is the same that gave us, um, sometimes always rarely never. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. forgetting her name right now. Phil, can we throw that in the jaw box? And the other point I had, this is, this is kind of how I think about this film and especially Olivia Coleman's performance. Cause I do think she's amazing. And, she and Jesse Buckley was great too, but I, it, this Olivia Coleman is just uh, like on a different level. It's as if you asked, you commissioned Rembrandt to paint a dog. It's going to be a great painting of a dog. That's my analogy, guys. I thought it was. Oh. Well, I, I don't know what the hell. I like the dog. Yeah, I don't know what the hell he's talking about half no, the time. It, so. it's, it's a beautiful piece That's of fine. art, but it's still meaningless. It, it, it doesn't it, convey. You can't tell me that the lost daughter is meaningless. There is no way this film is meaningless. It has I think themes. that just left us all speechless. No, it has themes. It's uh, meaningless is probably the wrong word. It's just, I mean, that is, it's, it's art so for the, the sake opposite of, art. of this movie. No. I, mean, I mean, this movie, is, I, I, I think, a, I think a, a lot of people out there, I, I don't have kids, but I think there's a lot of uh, people out there. And as you said, Pam, it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, a mother. It could be a father or, you know, even an uncle, an aunt or somebody that, that has to change their caretaker. life. When, yeah, yeah, caretaker that are going to see this movie and relate to it that we don't see enough of this disgust. Yes, you mentioned the Babadook. How old is that, Matt? And you're pulling that out. We don't see this subject. It's not the only one. But we don't see the subject come up all that often still to this day. You know what, though? We we have seen that come up quite a bit this year. Um, I don't know if you've seen Come On, Come On with Mm -hmm. Joaquin Phoenix Phoenix Mm -hmm. and um, Gabby Hoffman. That definitely takes a look at the difficulties of single parenthood, motherhood, and the stresses that puts on, again, a marriage. I mean, these are common themes that, that come through, I think, and we're seeing more and more of that. I was lucky enough to be a, a part of the panel discussion with Maggie Gyllenhaal and Peter Sarsgaard and, and Dakota Johnson. They said that, you know, this this is the, the writer of this book explores topics that we don't want to talk about. It's not cool. Like I, I have not shared and I'll have my daughter listen to this podcast so then she can hear that. Um, being a mom is a really hard thing to do and it's not all hunky dory. And I always thought it would be this really cool, fun thing. And I'd be the coolest mom ever. And things don't turn out that way. It's one of the most difficult things to do. And sometimes you resent where you are and that's a really hard thing to own up to. It's not a pretty thing to say, I resent you. I brought you into this world and I resent you. That's a really horrible thing to admit to saying. And that's what this book brings up. And this is what this movie brings up is that we're not perfect as people. We're not perfect as mothers. And we don't always like our kids. We'll always love them, but we don't always like them. And there's there was one scene in this movie where um, Olivia Coleman, uh, her character Lita, was talking to Dakota Johnson's character. I don't remember her name offhand. And she said, um, what was that like when you left your family for three years? She said it was amazing, fantastic. How many people would say that? There should be guilt that should be oh i did the most horrible thing ever but she Mm -hmm. didn't she was honest and she said it was amazing um she says the truth that we don't all dare to say and there's also a line in there where 
she talks about it being a, a crushing responsibility, I think is yeah. the, oh, the one is that crushing Happy birthday. Yeah. It's the most crushing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, that line also, I mean, you wouldn't normally say that. I mean, coming from this character, it completely works. But you're right, Pam. You, most people wouldn't have the courage to, to be so honest about exactly right. what they're feeling. Right. I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. But here's the thing that, that it, it, you have to be a horrible. Everybody has those feelings and you have to be a horrible person like this character Leda is to. And maybe I'm making a judgment on her. I guess I probably am. But but to just totally give in to that, because, yeah, everybody has those feelings where you need a break. You want to get away. You resent your kids for for a few minutes and then you. You think of the good things and, and that feeling passes, at least for me. I, I guess I can only speak for myself. It's but, a roller coaster ride, but not everybody has the roller coaster. Some people have the, you know, they're in the merry-go-round on the in the basement level all the time. I will say the movie is successful with the themes because obviously we're talking about them. They are thought provoking, but unfortunately it's wrapped up in this dog painting that that is oh. just there we go again. It's just completely unsatisfying. You know what I mean? It's I disagree. It's, you can you can you can bury a gem in a pile of crap and it's still, you know, wrapped in a, a pile of crap. It's still a gem. Fine. But you can have the gem. I, I, you're being way I too harsh. I will wash it off this. and clean it and wear it proudly. I do want to mention the, the cast because all around. Yes, we're talking about Jesse Buckley a lot and a lot of, on Olivia Coleman. But this is a superb cast. You also have it Ed is. Harris who pops up in here. And we've mentioned her. Dakota Johnson. I have to give credit where credit's due. I, I was so harsh on her when she got started here. I, I, I said she's a throwaway actress. And then slowly but surely, I'm seeing her in things where I'm like, oh, she's much better than I, I'm giving her credit for. And she won me over again here um, playing Did the, she really? Yeah, the mom slash wife of the American family that Olivia Coleman has the tussle with. It worked for huh. me. I, I didn't even realize it was her for about... 15, 20 minutes. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's Dakota Johnson. So they did a good job. I I feel like they didn't explore that character enough. Um, All of that obnoxious New Jersey family. Um, All my family's from New Jersey. I can say that. Um, (laughs) I was born there. (laughs) They, um, I, I don't think we got a glimpse into Dakota Johnson's life enough to know who she was. I thought she was a little bit of a throwaway character. Um, I would like to have seen a little bit more of that. This this was truly Lita's story mm-hmm. in, in, in the current times as well as the past. And then um, I know Chuck and I had had a, uh, I won't say a heated conversation, but we had a conversation about the ending. Oh, let's do that. Let's do that. I mean, can we dance around spoilers here? Go I for it, know, man. man. It's pretty hard. Uh, yeah, it is um, kind of hard. Okay, so earmuffs if you don't want to have any spoilers, I guess, but... Um, he believes that she's no longer with us. And yeah, I'm totally. like, Every, everything is hunky dory and she has rectified things. I think the entire movie is her reconciling her, her sins. I mean, not to get spiritual on you, but I think that it's an allegory for, for purgatory where you, you face all Ooh. the things that you've done in the past, your, your transgressions, your wrongdoings, and then at the end, she 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 dies and she comes out, you know, she's in heaven all of a sudden, you know, oh, sp- like spoiler that. alert. But, you know, she's she's doing things that she hasn't done in years and wishes she could. 
have oh my interest. Gosh, I think that's a beautiful ending. That is so not what Maggie Gyllenhaal said it was, but I like your ending interpretation much better. Really? That's <laughs> interesting because I thought it was so like, oh, obviously well, this is what it is. Well, you should know, wow. Matt, you're wrong about 95% of the time. So you should have guessed. Yes. <laughs> if that's what I'm thinking, I'm. it's wrong. I like that interpretation. That's a beautiful ending to the story. I like that. I thought it was like an existentialist kind of movie. But what was your thought, Rye? What do you think? To be honest, I saw this at the Chicago Film Critics Festival, which was, I I think, in November sometime. And I remember when we came out, I I thought, man, it's definitely open to interpretation. And I thought I would have probably seen it a second time before doing this review, but I haven't. So it's not nearly as fresh in my, my mind. Right. Here's all right. Last last point on this. In the beginning of the movie, it opens with her collapsing on the beach. OK, right. so that is her death. Everything that happens after that is a recollection of her life. And then at the end, we see her wake up from that and suddenly things are bright. So take from that one what you will. Oh, and it is light and bright. I like that. I, I really I enjoy your interpretation of the ending, which to me then makes this powerful movie even more powerful. Yes, it no. just turned it into a four I star movie. I love I it. Right. I, I think I gave it three stars, but I'm up yeah. to three and a half close yes. to four now. Thank you, Matt. Jesus. You're welcome. You can Matt, have some of my stars. Matt, was there a jaw dropping moment in here for you? The hat pin, I suppose, is the jaw-dropping moment of the film. I couldn't find it. You know what? Here's another one. The, the pine cone was genuinely almost a horror movie vibe. Gave me a it sense was. of dread. I thought that was well handled, but it's not exactly a jaw-dropping moment. No, I don't think there's necessarily a jaw-dropping moment in the film. But as far as the idea of the, the missing doll, I love when we come to realize that Olivia Coleman's character actually has the doll and how strange that is that whole entire sequence there. I was like, what is going on? This is so bizarre. It, it lured me into the story even more. I got to nitpick about the doll. <laughs> the, actually, Chuck and I found a doll in Central Park and we took a picture. I'll, I'll send that to you guys. But how about the way Ed Harris danced around the whole doll being on the patio and Olivia Coleman's character didn't seem super stressed out about it. I'd have been a little more like, what's going on here? I got to yeah. get him away from the window, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a mob doll. You got to be careful. Right? Right? <laughs> movie poster quote, Matt? I, I mean, so the movie poster quote I wrote was incredibly harsh. Now I kind of want to revise it. I said, just get <laughs> lost. But um, I don't know. It, it lost me. There you go. Oh, boy. I went with the perfect movie to take your kids to. <laughs> See, I'm wow. afraid for my daughter to even listen to this podcast and my son as well. <laughs> All right. We're on a four jaw scale. How many jaws, Matt? One and a half. Wow. That is harsh. That is harsh. Pam I want Powell. to be entertained and I wasn't. Pam, I'm how going many? Three and a half. I, uh, Matt bumped me up. Thanks, yep. Matt. You're welcome. I'm That's already I'm here at for. three and a half. I'm sticking with three and a half jaws from me as well. So, Jawheads, obviously, we are split on this one big time. So if you see The Lost Daughter, it's streaming right now on Netflix. Shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw. Let us know what you thought. Do you side with Matt? Do you side with me and Pam? Or you can always email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. Phil, one other thing to throw into the fish tank. Because Matt keeps calling it a slog of a movie, too. Slog. it was actually a shorter runtime than most of these movies at the end of the year by a 
in my guess, 30 minutes. Can you throw in how long the lost daughter is? But my guess is less than an hour and 40 minutes. I can, I mean, Phil, throw it in the job box, get the exact number, but I can tell you it's two hours with the credits. Oh, is it really? Yeah, wow. In my mind, I, I was thinking like an hour and 40. About 30 minutes in, I was like, I, I went to my scroll bar to see how much longer it was. Oh, I'm like, Jesus. Jesus Christ, how much longer is this thing? So yeah. it's around that think, number. I think it's over two, two hours, just two hours and some change, All I right. think. Well, throw it in there. All right. Brings us to our favorite performances of 2021. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're putting them all together in five. So you can pick female lead, male lead, supporting, so on and so forth. Um, and there were actually a lot of great child performances this year as well. I know one may come up. We'll see. Uh, but Pam, you're our guest. You get us started this week. Was this tough to narrow down to five for you? Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't narrow it down to five. I narrowed it down to 25. Is that a problem? <laughs> wow. I got a few honorables as well. All right. Well, a lot of honorables. Well, you got to start with number five, though. We, we do. And and I'm going to start with the kids because you're absolutely right. I have a list of four kids in the category. I just put young um, and they stole the show. They carried the show. They were absolutely incredible. I mean, it goes from in, in my, my pick in this category. And I kind of put them into categories. My pick in this category is Jude Hill in Belfast. Um, again, my top movie of the year. This little kid was engaging from the minute that you laid eyes on him and you were with him you saw the events take place through his eyes and you were you were back in time to your nine or eight year old self and knowing exactly what this child was feeling because of the vibrancy or the fear or the love that he showed to his parents and his grandparents he was absolutely extraordinary, but he was only one of four other kids, Daniel Ranieri from The Tender Bar, Woody Norman from Come On, Come On, and Amelia Jones, a little older, but yet she's a newcomer to the acting gig in CODA. So incredible year for young actors, but Jude Hill, I think, blows them all out of the water. And, and to be honest, Belfast doesn't work if you don't have that performance from Jude Hill. I mean, it needed right. to oh, have gosh. a kid that was that charismatic, and that's tough to come by. You're, you're resting the whole movie on his shoulders, and he pulled yeah. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh. That's that's basically a, it was a semi-autobiographical film of Kenneth Branagh's childhood. So he cast this little boy, you know, looking at 300 different actors to play this role. And he went back audition after audition. He said the cutest thing uh, in this interview that we had um, saying that after he he researched the troubles in his cute little Irish accent, um, he said, I found it my responsibility and duty to do this film. Oh, wow. This is a little, I mean, and he wasn't like bullshitting or anything. He was just this really, this was one of those first interviews too. So it wasn't like he had things practiced, very sincere, very authentic. And oh my God, I loved this little boy. (laughs) I did too. He, He certainly was great. No arguments here. I guess that swings it around to my number five. And I'm going to talk about a performance. We, we always get solid performances to, to amazing performances from this guy. But this one in particular isn't being talked about enough. Not on my top 10 list of the year. I just want to highlight this performance because he literally carries the whole movie. Tom Hanks in the film Finch. It was I a like sleep- this pick, Matt. It's a, a total sleeper. I, I don't think enough people saw it. I'm not telling you that this is a four jaw movie. Go out and see it right away. It's, it's on Apple TV Plus. If you have the service, you owe it to yourself to watch this movie. Like if you got it for Ted Lasso, go ahead and watch Finch. 
Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. He's always just amazing to watch. Totally delightful. He's one of the few human beings in this movie. And that's okay because it's Tom Hanks. You know, it just works. It is. He's done it before. He had Wilson, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's a shame. I think he, he's uh, handicapped by the fact that he is Tom Hanks. We take it for granted. I, if that was a lesser known actor, people would be like, oh my God, what a performance. He acted opposite this robot and, you know, was so charming. We watch it and we're like, well, yeah, that's Tom Hanks doing his thing. We don't give him the credit that he probably deserves. But I, I loved Finch. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of this one. Thanks, Ryan. Thank yep. you. Um, what do you got at num- number five? My number five, I wanted to put one on. Um, I really liked this movie, and I didn't get a chance to talk about it. Didn't make my top ten and have not discussed it in our recap yet. So here it is. Maybe Pam's a fan of this one. Hopefully she is. Big year for this actress slash director. My number five is Rebecca Hall in the movie The Night House. And this movie came out uh, summertime. She plays Beth a woman who actually lost her husband to suicide and she's devastated. She spends the nights in this house, this big house alone drinking and going through a lot of of his belongings. And um, she seems like she's getting by and doing okay on the outside, but her friends are concerned for her. Um, But her husband's ominous note that he left her from the suicide is, is this, and this is what the note reads. You were right. There is nothing. Nothing is after you. You're safe now. And that note absolutely Whoa. perplexes her, right? And this performance by Rebecca Hall, she's got to be, uh, you know, suffering, you know, and, and showing that she's grieving. Um, but she also has to show uh, strength of trying to figure out this mystery of exactly what her husband was talking about. And she, What's com- this film called? Go, I'm the sorry, night. finish your point. Yes, let me get back to it. <laughs> but uh, she completely does. And I, I talked about, when I did talk about this briefly earlier in the year, there there are a lot of like in-camera shots where we think we may see a figure in the house, but it turns out to be like a shadow of a banister or um, you know, a, a, a weird lighting uh, thing happening in the house. And the camera refocuses and shows us that in in-camera. I really appreciated that. It's called The Night House, Matt. And I, I don't think enough people have seen it. And I, I thought Rebecca Hall was excellent. I actually had her written down for my favorite performance of the year for a long time until we started getting into the heavy stuff here. Um, she was leading the pack for me. So I, I really went for this movie. Pam? I, I thought you were going to say passing. So um, although she she didn't star in it, she directed it. But yeah, she I really enjoyed The Night House as well. It was one of those psychological thriller horror movies that you just didn't know what was going on until the very end. I thought it was extremely well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check this one out, Matt. Write it down Dude, in your yeah. journal. That sounds fascinating. House. So that was my number five, Rebecca Hall. Into our fours, Pam. All right. Um, did you guys see the movie Pig starring Nicolas Cage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. High on my list. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad. I feel like that one flew under the, no pun intended with Pigs Can Fly, but I think that flew under the radar for a lot of people. Um, Nicolas Cage uh, has an extraordinary performance. Initially, I think the first like maybe three minutes, he grunts three times. Um, There's not a whole lot of dialogue initially, but then when we learn about, you know, his pig is stolen and he has to go back into society, he's in the woods, he's a truffle hunter and someone has taken his pig, he goes back to Portland 
and confronts some people who he thinks have maybe stolen his pig, as well as confronting his past and the issues that he was trying to run away from. Wow, was this, this definitely made my top 10. And Nicolas Cage has finally made the right choice because man, he has chosen some pretty shitty movies in the past. <laughs> and this one I think was just wonderfully done. One of my favorite scenes of the year is also in this movie as he sits down with the young Alex Wolf, who plays the the guy who's the the, the son of the salesman and and sells the truffles to the different high end restaurants, and the and the chef sits down with them, and you know Nicholas Cage is he looks like he's a homeless man. He's dirty, he's stinky, he's he's disheveled to say the least, and there is a conversation, a dialogue that takes place that it was that truly was jaw dropping to me. Absolutely. We highlighted it last week. Quite oh, a bit. did you? Yeah, mm -hmm. when we talked about our favorite scenes for sure. But I have a question, real quick, Pam. Like, when you heard about this movie, were you like, "What is this crap"? I mean, when you sat down, what was your skepticism of this movie? Uh, my my thought was, "Oh God, another Nicolas Cage movie. It's going to be a slasher. There's going to be a lot of blood. There's a pig on the front. Yeah, whatever." And then, like five minutes, I'm hooked. Yeah, didn't take much at all. Um, I was not expecting what I got. And this is a movie that came out in, I don't know, maybe February. I yeah. might be wrong on that. Early um, on. So that's almost a whole year ago. And that is still in my memory and still, you, I don't need any reminders to say, don't forget about voting for Pig. Pig yep. is top on my list. Good Agreed. pick at number four, Matt. What do you got there? Um. I'm going to highlight Thomason McKenzie from Last Night in Soho at number four. She had a great year, um, and she's she's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. She was also in Old um, alongside Alex Wolf um, comes up again. Both of them had a good year. But Last Night in Soho, she plays a girl who starts to – we don't know if she's losing her mind or if she's – seeing the other side or what's going on when she closes her eyes and has these vivid dreams of, of uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. But I really think it's Thomas and McKenzie's performance. I mean, that, that anchors the movie. I just like her. You know what? She's just kind of got the it factor for me and I'm a fan. So just wanted to point that one out, put it on my list, Rye. I like it. Um, swings it over to my number four, and it's a pick that you just mentioned, Pam, as I, I mentioned Rebecca Hall, you thought it was going to be passing, and this time I'm going with an actress from the movie Passing, and that's Ruth Nega, who, um, well, let's, let's start with the, the film's main character, Irene, who's played by Tessa Thompson. Um, she's, this is a difficult movie to discuss here. We got... Tessa Thompson um, playing Irene, who is a light-skinned black woman living in Harlem. And she sometimes passes for a white woman. Um, and by sometimes, I, I mean by going to uh, stores that she might not have been allowed into or ho hotels, uh, so on and so forth. When she meets Ruth Nega, who is an old childhood friend, actually is passing for white the entire time actually fooled her husband um, to thinking that she is not a black woman. And we come to find out that this guy is extremely racist and her husband, her husband. Yes. Okay. And so the, the film actually takes on 
a whole nother level of tension once we, we see where this is going. Um, but the performances here by the, the two, I, you could really link them together. Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson are, are both excellent in this film. Um, I mean, I never even, I, this is why I love the movie sometimes. This is something that obviously had never come up in my life. And it was something that to be able to explore this and see this as, as you had talked about, uh, Pam, when we were talking about the lost daughter to put you in the shoes of someone else and to see the struggles and, and the situations that people have gone through, through time. Um, it, because of, you know, people being racist out there, it's literally insane. And Rebecca Hall actually directs this movie, making her directorial debut. Very impressive. It's also on Netflix, I believe, passing. So no excuse not to check this one out. Two great performances in it. I, I was a fan of this one. It's the and empathy was, machine, right? That's what Ebert said. Right, right. It was That was an incredible movie. And, and I don't think a lot of people realize that Rebecca Hall's grandfather was black who passed for white his whole life. Um, so a lot of uh, personal commitment in this in this story and this translation from the book to the movie so yeah i i didn't know that and i was you know wondering why she directed it and then obviously read articles online i was like oh man had no idea so i could see obviously why this was a story that you know she wanted to bring to the forefront and direct so passing um ruth nega my number four into our threes we go um, that leaves me. And let me look at my list of 2023 20, that I have left. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Jodie Comer for The Last Duel. The Last Duel is my number two movie of the year. This is great. Uh, Jodie Comer plays Marguerite. I don't speak French. De Carouge. We'll go with it. Spanish. We're going to go with that. Uh, this is way before the Me Too movement, and this is this is a story told in Rashomon style. We've got three different perspectives. We start off with the man who um, ends up being her husband, Matt Damon, and then we hear um, the uh, Adam Driver version, and that is the man who actually ended up raping her. Um, and then we see the truth, and that is from Marguerite's viewpoint. So we th see three different viewpoints that change ever so slightly, but ever so importantly. And each time, all three actors have to change their perspective, their actions, their subtle reactions. And Jodie Comer has one unbelievably powerful performance that, as I said before, this is way before she's, she's reenacting, recreating, reincarnating a woman from the 14th century. So centuries ago before the Me Too movement, but she had the, the courage to stand up for what she knew was wrong. And Jodie Comer brings her to life. Mm -hmm. Incredible performance. I, I love this movie. I love that it's coming back because it seemed like it was going to just get pushed to the side and and it, it did start making top 10 lists it made yours um we talked about it last week in our favorite scenes the duel at the end i mentioned how tense i was going into that last fight it was like oh literally watching a sporting event I, I hadn't seen anything like that in a movie so what was the most tension-filled part of that was the fact that she was sitting in a chair that had kindling beneath it as she's watching these two men fight one wins she burns the other one wins and she lit she doesn't burn i mean it's 
Yeah. (laughs) You got to love the thought process too at the time was whoever wins the duel obviously was right in their argument. That's that's how we solved it. In the eyes of God. (laughs) In the eyes of God. Well, if this guy wins, obviously he was the one telling the truth. Right. Crazy. Crazy. That tracks. (laughs) Good pick. All right. Uh, Thank you. At number three for me, I have uh, Nicole Kidman in being the Ricardo. Speaking of 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 Lucy being from mm. uh, your hometown, mm. Pam, this, oh, I'm getting confused faces here. Really, I thought that it was maybe <laughs> well, not the best movie of the year, but her performance was 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 solid. Mm. All right, really, guys, yeah. really. I, I don't know if it's top tier. I mean, especially when we're lumping everything into five picks, and this is number three. Okay. Okay. Matt's having an off night. Hang on. Let me defend. Let me defend for a second. Okay. Okay. If you told me that there was going to be a movie with an actor starring as Lucille Ball, and then you said it was going to be Nicole Kidman, I would laugh in your face. I did not think she could pull off this role whatsoever. That's a tall order for anybody, for anybody. But she stepped in and she did a great job. She knocked it out of the park. She played Lucy. And I was convinced. I thought she did it a fantastic job. This is probably one of her best roles in like maybe ten years. Oh, what do you got? What? what? You got to be you out got? of your mind. Nicole really? Kidman, no. I everything mean, she does is fantastic. She's not playing Outside Nicole of playing Lucille Ball. Really, Ryan? Yes. Yes. I am. I am the last great Nicole Kidman. Kidman. Give me the last great Nicole Kidman role. And if you go eyes wide shut, man, I'm sorry. That was (laughs) 10 years ago. I'd have to pull up IMDb in front of me. But exactly. Exactly. No, no, I'm just because I can't think of movies right off the top of my head. If I said Adam Driver, you could you could name probably five. But I'm right telling you, your everything Nicole Kidman in is has been great. She's been on fire. That is Even not true. T- yes, yes, she has been. I there like, I swear to God, last probably less than a year ago, I was talking about she might be the the best working actress going today, in my opinion. So yes, what? yes, a hundred percent. Okay, now here's my confused look at you. You got to be out of your mind, dude. And if she's so on fire, how come you can't name anything? You're you're pulling up IMDb on your phone. I, I am. I'm, I, that's not a lie. But dude, I I run running all this stuff around here. I can't think you're of everything the on the spot. Come on, yeah, come I on, dude. I can't think of everything on the spot. But you are so off. That's how on I this. feel in trivia, Rye. I understand. She was she was good in Bombshell. Not great, but she was actually good in Bombshell. That was uh-huh. that was last year, I think. Yeah. Is that no? what you got? Really? Okay. Wow. She melted Lion? the house. She was the mom in Lion. She we both loved it. She was excellent in that. That was uh, two, three years ago. Um, I don't know. I have to go on throughout again, the list. Again, she, I loved some her serious... in Destroyer. I, I had Destroyer high on my list in 2018. I loved her in Destroyer. I'll stop it there. But I, 18, tw- 2018, that's like three, four years ago at this point, dude. She she hasn't had a, like a serious performance where we're like, oh, where we stood so up and paid attention. Rocker. I no. don't think so. You did not convince me there with the, the picks you just said. I, I anyway. swear. I swear she's one of the best going still today. I, I If Nicole Kidman's in a movie, I'm usually very excited to see the movie. Yeah, I don't think she was very convincing as Lucille Ball. I'm well, that's fair. Right there. Um, as I stated at the beginning, little did I know you were going to be choosing this. 
Um, I am from her hometown. My grandmother went on a double date with her. Um, my father worked on the recreation of the theater. That's the Lucille Ball Theater in Jamestown, New York. I have a really, really strong connection to who this woman was. Nicole Kidman didn't find her personality and her speech was all wrong. When you listen to me talk, would you say that I'm from New York City? I, no. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm biased, though, because I know where you're from. So you do. You do. You do. I am not from New York City. And Nicole Kidman's Australian accent got in the way, making Lucille sound like she's from New York City. And uh. that pulled me out of the character every single time. Her voice was very good. Her speech was not. Mm. Um, I thought that um, Javier Bardem played uh, Desi, right? Yeah, Desi, yeah. And he was phenomenal. Not for a minute did I think he was not Desi Arnaz. But Lucille, I went in and out of believing whether or not she was Lucy. That's interesting. I've heard the opposite said way more, that, that most people really? really liked the performance, believed her as Lucy, but didn't pick didn't buy Javier Bardem as uh as as Desi so okay well I I didn't dislike the performance that much but it's nowhere near a top five of the year and especially at number three Matt holy I'm cow. trying to highlight some movies that weren't on my other lists first I of like all that. Second, of, okay. second, second, second of all this was a great performance I loved it and it's a tall order for anybody, and I think she nailed it. All right, let's 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 get back on track here with a, a really strong <laughs> performance. And this one was a supporting. I think he's got a shot here at winning the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Comes from the film, Matt's number one film of the year, Coda. I'm going with Troy Katsur. Katsur? Yeah. Um, who plays the deaf father of Ruby in the film. And uh, while he has so many funny moments opposite Marley Matlin, mm -hmm. who's the wife in the movie. He also supplies one of the most emotional moments of 2021 with a quick two-letter word that instantly caused tears to come out of my eyes at the end of this film. Absolutely, absolutely devastating and, and just powerful moment uh, that he gives. I, I love this guy. Um, what a performance. And obviously... It's sign language performance. So there's that whole entire thing. We're just talking about what a what a big part of talking and the dialect is in a performance with Nicole Kidman. Here's a performance by Troy who doesn't speak in the film. It's all sign language. It's all uh, showing on his face. It's all body language. Mm -hmm. And what a performance it was. It's That's a number three. That's what we're talking about here, Matt. You'll get no arguments from me, man. And I'm I got just a thumbs to, up from Pam. That's all that matters. I'm just trying to, to, <laughs> to talk about some other movies. Um, but, dude, I, you, you know how I feel about Coda. It was right. my number one pick. All right. Well, we're going to take oh, wow. a... Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a break right here. And when we come back, our top two performances of the year. Plus, we have a Stump the Kabinsky coming up. Stick with us, Jawheads. Jawheads, we know you're looking for even more ways to enjoy fun movie discussions with us here at Cinema Jaw, and we got you covered. Check out our YouTube channel. In 2022, we're going to be doing more animations, more reviews. We're going to be getting on the YouTubes even more than we have in the past. So be there or be square. Square is in a tube, as in YouTube. Follow us there, and while you're at it, 
please click subscribe. It helps us out a ton. It helps build the channel and get even more people involved with uh, movie discussions, which is a great thing. Support film, support Cinema Jaw, follow us on YouTube and enjoy. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big no-no! Big no-no! Sex equals death, okay? Number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. That clip was from Wes Craven's Scream, which came out in 1996. Our plan is to have a review of the new Scream movie next week, so if you want to refresh your Scream memory, the first two films are currently streaming on Peacock. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Pamela Powell. Pam, again, for the Jawheads that want to listen, read, see your reviews, where should we send them online? Check out Real Talk with ChuckandPam.com. And you can read, listen, watch, and connect with, I mean, anything and everything. So just Real Talk with ChuckandPam.com. Do it, Jawheads. Before we get to our top two picks and stump the Kabinsky, we threw a few items into the fish tank. And I know Phil, he wants to swim up to the top. Let us know what we got wrong all the way from Seattle. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. It's fish, isn't it? DC, wake up, wake up. No, Pat, it's a giant glass bowl. Hey, get some fish, folks. Who's coming with me besides Flipper here? That's a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Yeah, guys, it is absolutely delightful to be out. Uh, our first, I'm going to jump right into these because we have a surprise. There's only two questions, but I, there's a, a surprising amount in here, like in terms of answers. Our first one, who is a cinematographer of Lost Daughter and, all, and never, rarely, sometimes, always? I will never get that right. <laughs> uh, the, that DP would be Helene Louvar. Uh, just a little bit of an anecdote here. Every time we do a retro review, Ryan always mentions the Cinema Draw team's crack research, but he does not mention the crack pot research that I do because I am a crack pot. I tried my damnedest to see if Helene Louvar has a dog so that way I could paint a picture of it and then send it to her signed by Matt Kay. I, 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 this is how, see, I duck, duck, go searched if she has a dog and I found nothing. Uh, so I, I guess we'll just have to send her we'll somebody just do it else's anyway. dog. Yeah. Just go ahead and send From send the Cinema Jaw team. There that's, you go. That's the best we can do. <laughs> uh, the other one, also last Lost Daughter related, uh, what is the runtime uh, for the film? And as much as it kills me to say this, we have to give Matt Kay a lot of credit here. Uh, and everyone just save this in your back pocket. We'll see how Stump the Kabinsky goes. I don't want to inflate his ego. We, he won't fit through the door. But... <laughs> He is right on the money. It is 121 minutes, so exactly two hours with one minute extra. Mm. Uh, and I did also run it through the ringers. I did everybody's number ones 
uh, of the year. And just to compare it to the other films, it, it is a little bit longer than everybody's. Uh, Belfast came in at 97 minutes. Mm-hmm. Titan was 108 minutes. And Coda was 111 minutes. So it's not a short film. It's no, definitely... It's I guess I was just so drawn into it that I thought it was shorter than it was, but no escape. So drawn in. It's like being drawn into a tar pit. (laughs) All right. Was that everything, Phil? That's all we got. All right. Jump back in that fish tank. Oh, you bet. All right. Back into our list. We are into our number twos. Uh, Favorite performances of 2021. Pam, what do you got there? You know, it's, this is, as I said before, I've got like 25 different, names down here that any and every one of them could be interchanged. And the fact that we're not doing male and female, that just makes it a little bit more difficult. So talk about a fish tank. I think I'm just going to like throw my line in and see which one I pull up. And I'm going to go with Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, I saw this movie and wasn't really super excited about it um, and ended up loving absolutely every minute of it and it's because of andrew garfield's performance as jonathan larson um the creator of rent from back in the day um man this guy this guy can do it all he can be spider-man and he can be uh, a man who's who's lost in music and and wants nothing more than to create and the power and the passion and the talent that this he has comes through in this role as Jonathan Larson. The guy can sing, the guy can dance, the guy can can play the piano. I mean, he is a one man show that never ceases to amaze me. I love this actor. He is incredible. This was such a strong performance from him, too, that I think caught a lot of people off guard. I didn't know that he could even sing or was like musically inclined uh, to the point of, you know, this musical is is wild. I mean, he's doing everything, like you said. And there's a wonderful diner scene uh, in the movie that just completely won me over. But. I, I hope it, it makes a little noise come Oscar time. I hope he, he actually gets nominated and, and more people see it because I think it's another one. I mean, there was just a slew of movies came out and only a few have been getting talked about. And I think this one needs to be talked about a little bit more. I agree. Love me some Garfield. <laughs> Matt, can you follow that up? I don't think well, Nicole Kidman had another performance this year. Come on, you guys. <laughs> Nicole Kidman was great. <laughs> All right. I'm following it up with a guy who I think we had written off uh, 100%. If you had even heard of this guy, um, came out of left field with Sean Baker. And I I think I might be, uh, am I incorrect in remembering, Pam, that you did not care for Sean Baker's films? Or is that did not care for Sean Baker's films? That would be absolutely correct. All right. Well, I don't know how you feel about (laughs) this year's entry. It, I saw it at the Chicago Film Critics Fest, uh, and it killed there. It absolutely killed. I'm talking about Red Rocket and Simon Rex as Mikey Saber, a washed up porn star who returns home. Um, I was going to say with his tail tucked between his legs, but there's too much going on there. I'm just going to not say that, even though I already said it. And <laughs> his performance, Simon Rex used to be on MTV. If some of you will remember um, kind of disappeared for a while. And holy crap, man, he acted the hell out of this. It, it's kind of a role that that makes a lot of sense for him for a lot of reasons. 
but still, I mean, he just carries this movie. He's even though his character is so slimy and such a con artist, he's also kind of charming in a way you can, you can understand and appreciate how he's able to be successful at being a con artist. And he's also funny. You know, I mean, the, the movie is a great comedy. It's, it was a lot of fun. I'm curious to hear Pam's uh, opinion on the film, but if you uh, enjoy Sean Baker's movies, I think you'll enjoy this performance from Simon Rex. But what did you think about this one, Pam? Um, I have to be honest with you. The DVD is still sitting down in my basement on the player. I have not bitten the bullet and put it in there because I just, I can't stand his style of filmmaking. And I am going to have more than one glass of whatever's in here now for me (laughs) to be able to watch that. I just, I just don't appreciate his, his style, his, his narratives, his, I don't know. It's not for everyone. I appreciate that. But let me say this to to all the people out there who feel the same way as you. This one's a little different. It's way yeah. more comedy. Um, it's it still deals with some pretty salacious topics and, you know, sex work as as have most of his films so far, if not all of them. So be prepared for that. But it's more like a throwback to the to the like late 70s, early 80s sex comedies, you know, in a way. Hmm. So. It's oh, not. Your t- it's definitely not Florida Project. I can say that. Thank God. Oh, I love the Florida Project. Bite your tongue, Pam. But oh, talk about a kid that needs to be put in the corner and taken time out. <laughs> so I've only watched less than a handful of movies twice out of 2021, and Red Rocket is one of those movies. And really. I tell you what, Simon Rex is phenomenal because he completely makes the movie work. You gotta, you gotta buy into to Mikey and his performance. He's so charismatic. Um, you can see why he would have been a, a star in that town of of growing up, and why he would have thought he could go to Hollywood to become a star. Everybody loves him, uh, especially his neighbor who uh, drives yeah. him into town constantly we get this vibe that everybody looked up to Mikey for a little while and he's just absolutely hysterical. I'm, I'm a fan of this one, Matt would have been on my list. Thanks, Ryan. What, what do you got there? My number two from a film that I also saw twice and I'm glad I did. Um, caught it at the music box playing in 70 millimeter over the uh, holiday. I'm speaking of licorice pizza and my number two performance is Alana Haim who plays Alana in the movie. And this was an easy pick for me. Uh, for starters, the, the whole reason that the movie works is because you want to hang out with Alana and Gary, who are the two leads. And seeing it a second time at the music box, um, it's exactly that. It's like, yeah, I want to hang with these two people a, a second time. Now, Alana's making her first acting performance, not counting her many music videos for her band Haim, and she's simply amazing here. This uh, is present actually in the opening scene, which sees uh, Gary, a high school student, who's hounding her for a date, and she all at once is annoyed, flattered, intrigued, and flirty herself. And her driving a truck backward is one of the craziest <laughs> scenes in film in 2021, a complete highlight Again, just a character I wanted to hang out with. I loved Alana and Gary in this movie. You a fan of this one, Pam? 
you know, um, I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but I love that scene that you're describing of driving backwards down a California hill, not just a hill, but a California winding road. Um, Bradley Cooper was great in it. I wasn't a huge fan of it. I needed a little bit more of a narrative arc that it didn't have. It was a slice of life or a slice of pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, her performance was 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 good. It was intriguing. Yeah. That was my number two, Alana Haim. Here, here we are, our number one performances of 2021. Pam, who are you giving it to? Oh, you know, it's it's so tough. I mean, I, I truly have, you know, we talked about Olivia Coleman's performance. Of course, that was extraordinary. And Gabby Hoffman and come on, come on. Um, uh, man, it's, it's, I mean, if you ask me the same question tomorrow, I might give you somebody different. Um, but I haven't given enough praise and love, I think, to my varied top 10 lists that I have uh, for Mass. I don't know if you guys have seen Mass. No. Um, it is an ensemble cast and the lead in this, although it's it's two couples, for those of you who are listening that don't know what this movie is about, um, it's directed and written by Fran Kranz. Um, he's got an incredible acting resume. However, this is his first time sitting in the director's chair. Um, and he has two couples coming together in some Midwestern church basement. And they're coming together to resolve some issues that they have. Uh, we find out that these two couples, uh, the uh, Ann Dowd plays Linda and Jason Isaacs is Jay. And uh, Reed Bernie and Martha Plimpton. Actually, it's, it's Ann wow, Dowd. Wow, Martha and, Plimpton? Yeah, actually, it's Ann Dowd and, and Reed Bernie are a couple. And... Um, the other two are another couple, and they discuss the effects of a, a mass school shooting. Um, they've both lost their sons in this school shooting. Oh, man. The caveat in this is the one couple, um, the mother, played by Ann Dowd, um, is the shooter, and the other couple is the victim that is taken during this school shooting. Wow. Whoa. Talk about, you know, you talk about, you know, Ebert saying, you know, you get to walk in somebody's shoes and have empathy and that's what movies do for you. Never before. We've had plenty of movies that discuss mass shootings in schools or mass shootings, period. Never has anyone delved into this topic so deeply to allow us to maybe not walk in their shoes, but walk next to them so that we can understand both of their experiences and, and guilt and, and um, reticence and regrets and, and, and how do you move forward and where, where does the healing begin? I mean, each and, one, each and every one of these characters could be the main subject in this. It's, a, it's like I said, a small ensemble cast, and, but I, Anne Dowd is, is going to be for me my, my lead actress and wow. number one. I'm excited. I, I was showing. I, I had the screener um, sitting is that here the because screener? I thought that was a soundtrack. No, this is actually the screener that, that oh, wow. came in in the small uh, case, and I pull, have it here because I plan to watch it this weekend. It's one of the, oh, the last few ones. So you talking about it right now has got me even that much more excited. So I will check let, out. Let me know what you sure. think. Cinematography in this is great. The script is great. Edits are great. Everything in it is sharp, crisp, and clean. Can't wait to watch it. And Martha Plimpton, too. I mean, geez. Yeah. To boot. She's been, she's been absent for a while. Nice to hear her name. All right. And number one, I don't know if this is a big mystery or if everybody kind of pegged me for having this, but I'm going with Kristen Stewart and Spencer. I'm shocked. Just going to rip the Band-Aid right off. I mean, 
<laughs> Why are you so shocked, Pam? I I did not like Spencer at all. Oh, I, really? Yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't take it. It just I don't know. It just was like again the whole speech thing, like the breathy voice throughout. Just like give me something else. Give me I don't know. It was just brutal. It was wow. brutal. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, but, it's funny. That's, that's how I feel about uh, the lost daughter. So I, I understand how you feel. <laughs> um, but I, I just, the opposite for me, this was the magnetic uh, meditative kind of movie of the year for me. It was just so gorgeous. I mean, like every frame is just dripping with style and beauty and that score from Johnny Greenwood. I don't think anybody is going to be surprised when he wins the Oscar. It's either for this or, uh, his Power other the dog power, the dog yeah, yeah. So Johnny Greenwood's taking home an Oscar this year, but I would give it to him for Spencer, but I'm talking about Kristen Stewart and another one where you, she's stepping into a larger than life character and say what you will, you know, Kristen Stewart's had some really great acting um, roles, especially lately, but I think a lot of people still dismiss her. And I think this may be the death of her naysayers, except for Pamela Powell. <laughs> you know, I've come to the conclusion, though, that Matt, you and I Have almost opposite. 100% of the time disagree on everything. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, I, I, I almost hesitate to say this. You know what? I, I totally. Yeah, we, we disagree. We disagree. I'm going to leave it there. There was a film you mentioned earlier that I didn't like, but which one? We could talk about it later. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, swings it to my number one, also a heavy hitter, and I think uh, Oscar front runner here. And I would be happy if he won the Oscar. I'm going with Benedict Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog is my number one performance of the year. And it feels like Cumberbatch has been amazing since he sort of came on the scene. It's like, oh, he's Benedict Cumberbatch. It, when when was he not good, you know? But I think um, this him playing Phil in Power of the Dog is him at his absolute best. And he's complex here. It's a complex character. He's intimidating. He's vulnerable at the same time, which is difficult to pull off. It, it, you need to be able to convey that in, in ways uh, that, that we can understand just looking at him, and, and he does. Uh, we dislike him, but at the same time, we feel for him. And that all needs to be there to have that uh, amazing scene that I've alluded to a few times at the end of this movie that has this sexual tension, um, this mystery of where it's going. There's so much going on that, that I, I was, you know, just lost on, on where the film's direction was going to end. And I was stunned that a movie could do that to me, but it sure did. Power of the Dog was amazing for Johnny Greenwood's score. A lot of great performances in the movie. Jesse Plemons, uh, Kirsten Dunst, and of course, my pick, Benedict Cumberbatch. And the, uh, I, I don't have him in front of me. Oh boy. And Jane Campion, probably the front runner, perhaps, for uh, Best Director. Would like to see that happen as well. And also the actor who played Kirsten Dunst's um, son. Can we Cody throw- Smith McPhee. Yes. Cody Smith McPhee. Excellent as well. So, what? All around great cast, much like The Lost Daughter. But I think the standout here is Benedict Cumberbatch. I, I think he's going to win the Oscar is my prediction. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I totally agree with you. He was 
a repulsively vile man, but there were reasons that we discovered later as to why he had that facade. And then you felt for him and you rooted for him. And the ending was chilling. Mm-hmm. I, I think he did an extraordinary job. And I love Cody Smith McPhee, who, who just may walk away with the Best Supporting Actor Award. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a two horse race there. I think it's it's between him and and Troy Kotzer for yeah. Coda. I think those two are going to battle it out, but I'd be happy with either one of those winning. So, honorable mentions here, guys. I'm going to go first because I only have three that weren't mentioned, and then we'll we'll let Pam list her other seventy three. Here we go. <laughs> um, I have Jeffrey Wright from the French Dispatch. Small, quick performance, but I loved it. Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers. She's always excellent. She's excellent here. And Will Smith in King Richard. Yeah. One of his best, um, if not his best. Loved him. Matt? Uh, two of mine have been mentioned. Troy Kotzer and Will Smith. Alex Wolf in Pig, I thought was a fantastic performance. Um, you almost need him to be our, your surrogate to, to see Nicolas Cage through his lens. So. How about you, Pam? Oh, wow. You had one. I, I as, as Matt said, I have like 735. Uh, I, you know, what? one of the performances I think that have gone to the wayside is Ray Liotta in The Many Saints of Newark. Um, he had a dual role, role in that. And both Chuck and I absolutely loved that performance. Penelope Cruz, I thought the same thing as you did, Ryan. Um, Olivia Munn in Violet, I thought she was outstanding. Again, almost a dual performance, if not maybe a triple performance of who she was in this film. Judy Dench in Belfast. Um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, he's like this ordinary guy. That in and of itself is, I think, a feat for him. And come on, come on. Um, I think you guys have covered a lot of the other ones. I don't know if you saw The Killing of Two Lovers, but Clayne Crawford was extraordinary in that as well. Good year. It was yeah. a really good year. It was really was. That week. It was a really, really strong year. Strong ending, for sure. I, yeah. I don't know if it's possible, Jawheads, but if we missed your favorite performance of the year, yes, I, yes, we are aware of the fact that Matt didn't mention Tom Holland as Spider-Man. We're aware of it, but if... if <laughs> Damn good performance. We missed your favorite performance of the year, and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet. We are at CinemaJaw, or you can email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. All right, something different here. We are playing Stump the Kabinsky this week. Five questions. We stump him if he does not get at least three correct. Since we have Pam I'm on the ready. show... Your lifeline and your only lifeline is to ask the guest for help. So you can ask okay. Pam for a clue or she'll help you out or just flat out give you the answer. Okay. You only get that one time. So use only it wisely, one. Matt. Matt, I'm sorry. In honor, right. in honor of the 355 starring Jessica Chastain, we are playing Jessica Chastain themed trivia. Really quick, Pam, did you see the 355? I did. Uh, really quick. I mean, worth seeing or no? To the um, jawheads. When does this air? This comes out on Monday. Um, I would skip it. <laughs> That's why I did. It, it's, you know, I'm not ready to jump into new movies yet. This one's one I passed on. It was a smart move. <laughs> All right, here we go. Question number one over to Matt. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Jessica Chastain has made one movie directed by Guillermo del Toro. Name it. Jessica Chastain in a Guillermo del Toro film. But which one was it, Matt? 
Yeah, that's tough, man. This um, is a tough one. I'm, I'm trying to do like um, probably not a good process one process for... of elimination. Well, I know it's not Nightmare Alley, and no, no. I, I'm pretty sure it was not Shape of Water. She's not in that. Um, I don't know. Pan's Labyrinth. I got nothing. Oof. Wow. Incorrect. We were looking for Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. It's the one I still haven't seen. Mm. It is zero correct so far for Matt K. He needs at least three. Question two to you, Matt. Jessica Chastain appeared in the movie The Help. Who played the lead in the film Skeeter? Who played mm. the lead in The Help? I didn't Skeeter. see The Help. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I, all right. I might have to go to Pam on this one uh, just to get on the board. Are you ready? Yeah. I'll, all right. Fine. I'll use my lifeline, Pam. Okay. Emma Stone. That's that my is answer, correct. Brian. That is correct. He is on the board. Okay. One correct for Matt K. Thank it you, was Pam. Emma Stone. Question three over to you, Matt. Jessica Chastain appears in only one movie with Brad Pitt. Name it. I'll give you a hint because... All right, please do. Yes, thank you. Having Pam here triggered this. Pam was our guest when we did our favorite movies of the decade. Um, and this film appeared on my list of my favorite films of the last decade. You think I pay attention to your lists? I mean, <laughs> what the hell? It had Jessica Chastain, Brad Pitt. Uh, we have some type of oh. interpretive dance going on that I clearly know what she's going for. Manchester by, by the Sea? No, that is incorrect. Oh, I, mean, I thought those were like the waves of the ocean or something. She was trying to be a tree for you, Matt. A tree swaying in the wind. We we're looking for the tree of life. No? Hmm. No. All right. He has one correct out of three. He needs these last two or else we officially stumped him. Question four is over to him. Matt, in 2014 and then 2015, Jessica Chastain made two movies with Matt Damon. Name them both. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not wow. kidding you. This is true. She made two movies with Matt Damon. Name Tell me both. the years one more time. 2014 and 2015. All right. So The Martian. That is correct. He's, he's got one. I have to name them both? This is so hard. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um. <laughs> Let me think. Oh, geez. All right. Twinkle, twinkle, little if, star. This is actually really good, um, you know, this interpretive clues, because Pam is... is I don't think I think Almost you might playing be playing charades to help me yeah. out here. But um, all right, geez. All right. 2014. It was just the year prior. Yeah. So you had the Martian and, and this other film. Interstellar. Yes, that is correct. Yes. Wow. I am stunned. I am stunned. It is two. Right. Two incorrect. So it comes down to this last question. Did we stump them? Here you go, Matt. In 2014, the film A Most Violent Year. Jessica yes. Chastain yes. plays Anna Morales. Uh -huh. Who plays her husband, Abel Oscar, Morales? Oscar Isaac. That yes. is correct. See? It's a movie that I that I saw and I loved. So Well done, Matt Kay. We did not stump him. Good job. I think well done. Five. You you knew just about every one of those, Pam. Kind of weird, right? Well, I'm I'm telling you, it's just you're right. It's being on the hot seat that makes it difficult, I, right? I cannot I cannot do your trivia game. Save my life, the literally. Other, 
the other thing life. too, Pam, is most times you aren't drinking a whiskey. Uh, so maybe you got to have well, whiskey I, and then I, maybe it I helps your trivia. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, it brings us to the end of a great jaw. And first and foremost, we got to thank our guest, Pam Powell. Thanks for coming on. Oh, you guys, thank you so much. Cheers to 2022, you guys. Cheers. Absolutely. We also got to thank our engineer, our editor, Phil Me and Phil. Oh, yeah. I'll use my time to plug our Instagram account where I don't know how long exactly this will take me, but at some point in the near future, you'll see a painting of a dog. <laughs> I like it. Get that up there, Phil. We're will you will it. you just will you just make the caption the lost daughter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right, Jawheads. Look forward to that. Absolutely. Matt, we should also thank our sponsors. We should, Ryan. We totally should. Thank you to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get great sponsors like that. If you want to support Cinema Jaw in 2022, you can do so by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, and click subscribe. And you know what? Do it on YouTube. Uh, we're, we're dropping some new videos in, in 2022. So check us out there and click that subscribe. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.